Hello and welcome to the Vino Karma Project. My name is Amanda Layden. I am here today with the amazing TJ Douglas, who owns the Urban Grape in Boston. We are going to dig into all things wine and also some courageous conversations around race and equity and representation in the trade. So for those of you who don't know TJ, I'm going to introduce him. He has an enormous bio, so I'm going to give a little snippet of it. Uh, TJ is the founder and CEO of The Urban Grape. As the wine buyer, head salesperson, and architect of the progressive scale for The Urban Grape, TJ is directly responsible for the store's success. You are looking at the man. Um, he has been profiled by the New York Times, Food and Wine, and Vibe, and a list of many, 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 many other publications. And TJ has been named one of the 10 Black Drink Innovators to Watch in 2020. TJ, welcome. I'm so happy to see you again. How are you? Man, I am great, and I'm so happy to be on Vion Karma. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for our uh, discussion today. Me too. Um, so for people who don't know you, can you just share with folks a little bit about your journey into the wine industry? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I started off as a 14-year-old dishwasher in Vermont, uh, worked my way up through uh, the ranks in McDonald's and then uh, into the restaurant industry as a back waiter and a bartender and ended up moving to Boston in uh, 2000 when I was 21 or 22 years old. And that really opened up my, uh, my eyes to hospitality, the beverage world, uh, but also uh, didn't allow a, a very traditional path for me to get into the wine industry, uh, as we'll probably get in later uh, to this. Um, you know, there wasn't many people in the industry that looked like me. Uh, there wasn't anyone that really approached me uh, in terms of any kind of mentorship and really no one that I could approach to, to ask for that. So I really had to take my, my own path on that. Um, worked in a few restaurants, ran a few wine programs, uh, worked for Todd English, uh, ran uh, the Armani Cafe, on Newbury Street, uh, where I ended up writing a uh, wine list in a progressive format to allow my very seasonal staff the opportunity to be able to uh, sell wine uh, and pair wine with food um, without really having to taste the wine or really knowing about it, which mm. uh, ultimately gave the, uh, the guests at the table a better dining experience because when they asked a question about like, oh, you know, how is this wine? The server just didn't say, oh, it's really good. Right. They actually said, oh, well, we designed the wine list so that the wines at the top of the menu go with this because and uh, after that, you know, I really just kept on uh, learning about wine, uh, tasting a lot about wine uh, or tasting a lot uh, of wine, uh, worked for a distributor for a few years, um, sold wine to uh, mostly uh, restaurants and uh, some stores and just I wasn't I wasn't loving it at all. And I didn't have that instant gratification of being on the floor, uh, on, a, on a restaurant floor, on the dining room floor. And so I really wanted to bring my hospitality background uh, into retail. So we opened up, my wife and I, Hadley, opened up the Urban Grape in uh, 2010. And uh, it's been, it's, it's been a, a wave ever since. It's been absolutely insane, especially this past uh, uh, year and a half or so. Yeah, let's, <clears throat> excuse me, let's talk a little bit about um, this past year and a half and what's gone on, uh, not only with the pandemic, but also, you know, certain things that happened in America, particularly with uh, the murder of George Floyd in May. Um, you know, how has this year been for you? 
um, as a owner of a shop that sells alcohol. Um, and how has it been for you just personally um, as a person of color in the United States? Yeah, so I mean, this 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 year and the word uh, pivot has been used a, a lot this year in really every industry and even in people's personal lives, right? Um, I'd like to say that, you know, we, we hit our pivot uh, in March. And then after that, we've really just reimagined what the Urban Grape is and what it, what it can be. Um, you know, it's kind of twofold. Uh, COVID is one, you know, I mean, as you mentioned, we're, we are an alcohol uh, retail yeah. business and alcohol retail business, um, you know, at the detriment to most of our friends in the, in the restaurant side uh, is really up right now because people are, you know, if they're not drinking more, they're just drinking more at home because people aren't, you know, dining out. And so we've been absolutely insane from, you know, from March uh, up. Uh, and then uh, after George Floyd's uh, um, murder in, uh, and the protests that happened here in Boston, uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, I've been in this business now for almost 25 years. And it was really on June 1st, uh, the world started looking at me as a black wine guy. Yeah. Right? And they're like, oh, wow, you're like, oh, well, yeah, you are a black owned business. Like, like I've, I've, I've never, you're just, you're just TJ, right? You're not a, you're not a black man in the line trade or a black general manager or a black salesperson. You're just, you know, you're just, you're just TJ and yeah, I'll buy some wine from you. And that all changed. And so there was a really big focus, especially on the, on the media side of being black in the, in the wine industry. And at first it was, um, it was overwhelming and, I was, I was very standoffish at first, just because I'm like, wait, now you're going to pay attention to me right. <laughs> you know? right. and you're only talking to me because I am a man of color, not because we're one of the top rated wine shops in the country. Right. And, uh, and then I needed to kind of step back <laughs> and say, you know what, people are, are listening, you know, their eyes are open, their ears are open, uh, their hearts are open, their wallets are open, you know, who knows how long this is going to to be. Uh, and so let's take this opportunity and use our platform and, and really do some, some good for our, for our community, uh, both here in Boston and beyond. And, um, you know, since then, uh, you've mentioned some of the publications, like, you know, we were, we were mentioned the New York times, uh, and it's really interesting about being black in the wine industry and how there aren't many of us in here. And I don't want to jump ahead on any of the questions you may have planned. No, no, keep going. <laughs> but, you know, it was, uh, it, it, it was crazy on the night of um, May 30th, um, uh, when the protest, May 30th or 31st, uh, protest in Boston, uh, Hadley and I were sitting uh, on our couch in, uh, you know, J you know, Jamaica Plain. Mm -hmm. So we're about five miles from the store in the South End in Boston. And we're watching, you know, the, the, the protests happening and then everyone go home. And then the riots started happening, the vandalism, not from the peaceful protesters, but from people, you know, coming from outside of the city and just stealing and breaking windows. And, uh, you know, the next morning uh, at about, I don't know, 6 a.m., we got a text message from a neighbor who lives across the street from the Urban Grape, and that uh, was a picture of our of our broken window. It's like, oh, you know, I'm like, what's going to happen? But like, you know what? We have insurance. It's not, you know, it's not about any of anything about us right now. So, and this is uh, this only story I've only told a couple of people. So hopefully, it's just you and you and I having this conversation right now. 
But uh, I go into uh, the Urban Grape, I drive in, I remember I'm wearing like, like Patagonia camo, like cargo shorts, um, like some Air Force Ones and maybe like my Urban Grape uh, pink progressively rosé t-shirt. And I go into the store and the alarm was not on uh, or it was on, but it wasn't ringing until I put my, my head through the glass window to check it out. I opened the door, the alarm went off. Um, and I couldn't get the alarm off. And at the same time at home, um, Hadley was uh, receiving a phone call from our security company saying that she needs to give the, the password mm-hmm. uh, in order to, for them to turn off the alarm and to not call the cops. And at the time my phone, I was coming out of the garage and my phone wasn't you know, on, on, on uh, getting any service. And she, she begged the woman from ADT not to call the cops. She's like, look, like the, the, the vibe in the city right now, um, it's, it's, it's crazy. And what's the vibe in our world is crazy right now. And, um, you know, like we, we have in, um, for those of you listening might not know me, but like I'm six foot three and 265 pounds, maybe a little heavier after COVID now, but <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a big dude. And so my wife explained that she's like, please, my, my husband's a black man. If the cops go into that shop uh, and see a large black man standing in a broken in liquor store Mm -hmm. 12 hours after Black Lives Matter protest, I don't want whatever's going to happen to happen to him. And um, and she was begging the woman's like, ma'am, I, you know, I have to call the cops. I was able to get the alarm off and the woman said, oh, you know what? We were just able to, I saw that the alarm was deactivated. And so we, you know, the cops have been called off and she said, thank you so much. And the woman from the security company, Amanda said, hey, ma'am, uh, and she started crying. She goes, I'm so sorry that I just put you through that. The woman from the security wow. company. Like, and so in the meantime, I had no idea, right? But me being a black man going into my own business, I of course already had my business card, my driver's license in my pocket so that when the cops came in, I could hand that to them. And I shouldn't have had to do that. You know, this is my business. So that, I mean, even that story like chokes me up a little bit, you know, it's like, here we are. And now it's now 2021, but here you were, you know, in 2020. And that those are the things that that first thing is going through your wife's head. And it's just, it's unfathomable in this day and age. And it's, uh, it's just, it's heart wrenching. It's heart wrenching that that's what you as a business owner are even contemplating in your own shop. And not to mention, you know, thinking through like what has happened. Is anybody even in the shop? You know, is the shop okay? Um, Are people okay? Like you had no idea what you were walking into. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I recall because at the time my husband and I were also living in Boston and um, we were patrons of yours at the Urban Grape. And I recall the email that came out. Um, not It must have been the day that day or the day after you were broken into. And there were a lot of things going on in Boston. You know, rest, other restaurants were broken. Rest, restaurants were broken into other places were broken into downtown. And the thing that struck with me um, about that email, and I think I still have it because I felt like it was so poignant in terms of you leveraging your voice as a business owner was just, I remember you saying something to the effect of it's just glass. It's not bodies. Like everybody here is safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that, that came from, that was on, on June 1st and we put something out, 
Um, you know, uh, I think we put something out on Instagram and, you know, half the people were saying, I'm so sorry, your family's been through this. Like there needs to be so much change. Um, you know, I can't imagine the fear. I hope everyone's safe. And then the other half of people are like, you know, Hey bro, sorry about your window. You know, and that's when we, we, we put that out saying a window is not a life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a window is not a life. It was broken glass. It got, it got fixed eventually and insurance covered some stuff. Some stuff came out of pocket, but you know, everyone's still alive, right? Mm-hmm. Like a window is not alive in it. You know, it was, it wasn't the protesters. And I'm glad you, you, you really pointed that out just now. Those, those people were, were asleep in bed already. Yeah. You know, it was, it was, it was like the kids that broke into the store, they were kids and they, they also broke into CVS with a sledgehammer. Like it had, and they were looking for cash, you know? Um, and, you know, they took, um, they took the opportunity with law enforcement being on the other side of the city to try to get some cash. That's it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't about the broken window. It's like, what were people marching for? And then the people that were, um, you know, were angry and, 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 and starting to riot, not for theft, um, or, are, are fed up with the, you know, with what was going on and the safety and people have had enough and, you know, it wasn't the right way to handle it. Um, but, you know, we've, we've gotten through that part and now the dialogue is continuing, which has mm-hmm. to happen. Somebody else said it, and I don't even remember who it was, but, you know, thinking about this kind of confluence of things which happened at this period of time in May um, and in June, you know, with George Floyd, and then people are sitting at home, um, you know, not able to go anywhere and um, drinking more, more wine than they usually would. And however, you know, we had this um, group of people at home in America who were stuck. So we're watching you know, what black people have been experiencing for 400 years in this country. And I would like to, I think for myself, um, you know, watching that, I was like, I hope this isn't just a moment in time. You know, I hope that what we're starting to recognize is that we need to shift the landscape seriously in this country. And we need to be leveraging and bringing other people up and understanding their experience to make change. I don't know, what your thought is now has, as, as the conversation is progressing, if you feel that um, hopefully, you know, if let's hope that your shop is never broken into again and you're never having to stand there again, but hopefully, you know, those things don't go through your mind anymore where you're thinking, I have my business card. I hope I'm safe. I have my hands up. I'm standing here. You know, like, I don't know. Do you feel that things are getting better? Mm, I, um, I think there's the dialogue and I think some people are talking about it more. Um, some people have stopped talking about it altogether, right? Like, like protests have happened before people have been, you know, killed before and because of the color of their skin or their sexual preference or their religious preference, right. Or, or anything. And, and this is not new. Um, I think because of media and, and social media, that everything was, was visible to everyone trapped at home in real time. And I think that that's what's different from you know, the 1960s or the 1980s or the 1990s is that everything's happening right now. Um, do I feel that I still don't have to you know, have my ID on me at every single moment? Absolutely not, right? Like I, I never leave the house without my wallet ever. 
uh, where my wife can walk out and she's like, oh, yeah, you, know, I, you know, I think she drove with an expired license for like six months. She's like, oh, I'll get it done tomorrow. I'm like, I would never drive with an, ex- with an ex- why would I give someone a reason? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my boys are 12 and 14 years old and, you know, they're, they're past the cute little stage Well, my 12 year old, so a little cute, but they're past <laughs> that stage. Now they're young black men, you know, yeah. and so, and I'm sure you've you've had friends that have told you this before. You've or read about it. It's like like I know if there's a cop behind me, or I know I always look up and my wife's like, "How do you how do you see them?" I'm like, "Well, because I have to. It's mm-hmm. self preservation, you know." And so I'm talking about this more, and I think to really get into the the answer of your question is not only is the dialogue happening happening among the white community, but I think the, the dialogue is happening amongst the black community as well, because there is this, this, this moment in time where people are listening to us. And so we're just like, yeah, we've always been this way, but now we're talking about it and we're not going to stop talking about mm. it. That's very important. And, you know, we're, we're using, our platform of social media and our and our presence in our community um, to to continue that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super important. I mean, that's also the platform of Vino Karma, right? You know, we bring people together over food and wine with the goal of creating community connection and change. And part of it is leveraging underrepresented voices be it shop owners or winemakers or tastemakers in a way. So let's talk a little bit about the wine industry. Um, you know, this is a wine conversation, right? Well, I don't know. We can make the conversation, whatever we want it to be. We could be here all day. Like I could pop a couple bottles. and. <laughs> um, so, you know, to me, I, you know, as you know, I came from the wine trade and, um, you know, there were certain things that I didn't recognize about it. I mean, I recognized certain things about it, but I knew that the wine industry was pretty elitist um, when I was in it. And, uh, you know, what have you experienced and how are you, I know with um, your progressive drinking, you know, you've started to break down some of the barriers in terms of people not only approaching wine, um, but also in the industry itself. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, viewed as elitist because that's how it's marketed, um, right? In, in countries where there's farmers where, you know, they're not driving around in big cars and have massive houses, but they're growing wine grapes. Wine is a part of their culture, mm. right? You have on the table, you have wine on the table, right? You, you, your livestock is, is on the table, right? And that's, that's where wine comes from, right? You know, what makes a wine $1,000 a bottle is because they have a $40 million tasting room that has to pay for that $1,000 wine. And then they can charge because then they do want to make it, you know, elitist or, you know, wine for a certain cast, if you will, right? Um, you know, breaking down uh, barriers for wine, I think, uh, really is coming from the marketing aspect, right? So my, my guy back there, Andre Houston Mack, you have his OPP Pinot Noir, which has always been one of our biggest sellers. Uh, it's our, it's a, I believe a three R on our progressive scale on our book drink progressively. Um, you know, he, you know, he didn't get into the wine business because he's black. Um, he got into the wine business because he loves wine and he loves, mm-hmm. loves drinking and he loves food pairing. Um, but, you know, as of late, he is, you know, kind of one of the, the few faces that represents um, black people in wine. Right. But again, kind of like me, right? Like I've always been in it, <laughs> but you know, now it's visible. What we're trying to do 
Uh, what we've been doing over the last probably few years um, is uh, on our website, we have this uh, a producers of color section, just like we also have women in wine or biodynamic or minimal intervention, whatever, um, to promote, to really give uh, uh, the non-older white man, winemaker, winery owner, a specific spotlight on our website and on our shelf. We call it out. The problem is, Amanda, is that over the years, there haven't been that many black producers that we've had um, uh, the availability to, to bring into Massachusetts. If, I, if my memory serves me right, I think Andre was the first and the only for a few years that yeah. we were able to get into Massachusetts. But now I've been able to bring in Diopolis Vineyards. I've been able to bring in uh, Lafette Rosé. I've been able, I'm working with some other people bringing in uh, Chosen Wines. You know, McBride Sisters is now in Mass. And it's giving them exposure. And why that's important going back to, you know, it's perceived as elitist because that's how it's marketed. Well, now if you have these faces of, of, of Black men and women behind these Black-owned brands or Black farm and brands or Black-made brands, um, that's going to attract uh, a, not a different, but a greater clientele, a larger clientele. It's going to say, wait a second, that person looks like me. I'm a drinker. Wine is kind of marketed this way to me, but I really want to try Pinot Noir and, you know, not Moscato. But I want like this because they feel that, you know, Black people are, are marketed to with, with sweeter wines, right? It's like, I'm sorry, but sweet wines, like that's, I started drinking sweet wines when I first started getting into wine, right? You don't, you don't start drinking double black espressos. You start with a donkey's iced coffee, <laughs> which chills your palate and covers your taste buds, right? You got a bunch of, you know, malolactic cream, a bunch of, you know, sugar to it. And you're like, yeah, I love coffee. That's not coffee, right? <laughs> that's, 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 that's a, 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 a donkey's iced coffee milkshake, right? When you get into a double espresso, so if you market it, uh, a different way, and people can see that someone is like them, um, they're going to get exposure to that. So with that being said, um, you know, this past year and a half or so, and especially since June, our, our clientele of non-white um, customers has, has increased because they've sought us out and we've been able to bring in more wines do that. But then it's also increased our sales and capability of black owned brands because all of our white customers, which most of our customers are white, just because of where we live, uh, have been uh, really opening up their palettes and their wallets and really wanting to, you know, explore and support not only urban grape, but those black and brands, black owned brands, because they've never had them before. And when you were on the street, which is, you know, when we we're on the street selling wines, as salespeople, right? It's hard to sell wine, but we used to have a saying, it's like, just get it in their glass. Yeah. And if you put it in their glass, if you get someone to taste it, they're going to buy it and put it in their program. If you get someone to taste Miss Theodore Lee's Petite Syrah mm -hmm. from Yorkville, they're going to buy it. But Miss Theo's never had that opportunity, right? Yeah. Until, like, so I don't want to go on too long. I know that's a very no. long one question, but that, I think it's great because you bring up so many different things. And one is people seeing themselves in a career path they didn't know existed. It's yeah. like, I think, I mean, the, the most um, 
public domain example of like the, the biggest example of that in the public domain right now is Kamala Harris, right? <laughs> Little girls seeing themselves in the path where, you know, like I was, I was pretty convinced in my lifetime, I was not going to see a female president or vice president. And so it's like seeing that path to what you can believe, you know, letting um, black and brown children see themselves in an industry which has marketed itself as elitist is super important and females as well. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is um, not only, you know, uh, supporting underrepresented voices, but also breaking down the established systems in corporate America, in the wine industry, um, as well as the stereotypes that exist. Um, are there still some stereotypes that exist about, you know, you think, well, about yourself in the industry or things that you just wish would like go away today? Yeah, uh, I think I think one of the um, stereotypes is that, you know, people of color like cheap and sweet but that's kind of back to my analogy of uh Tunky's ice coffee it's like it's it's an untrained palate because they haven't had the exposure because there might not have been a, a wine shop in their in their in their neighborhood mm -hmm. right there might just be like a, a bodega that only sells you know mass-produced capitalized wines um that is only sold to that why well because the distributor doesn't have the portfolio manager and the sales manager say, Hey, you know, go bring, you know, some Burgundy to this place. Right. Mm -hmm. But no, you're going to do like big drops of, you know, red Moscato, which mm -hmm. I didn't know existed. Right. And I think that's a stereotype that, that, uh, that like black people would have a different palette than a white person. And I think we have different terminology from our experience, our tasting experiences. Um, but all of our palates are the same. Mm -hmm. Right the experience mm -hmm. that we have and taking what we're feeling and smelling and tasting and turning it into a word, right? A, a descriptor. Um, so that's one, that's one stereotype. Um, another stereotype is that, um, that, you know, and this is for the industry that wine needs to be expensive to, um, to be quality and mm -hmm. to have a story. Um, and that that's, that, that stereotype and, and also that perception is what makes it, and marketed it as an, an elite, um, an elite uh, uh, industry, right? Mm -hmm. Or an elite uh, offering, you know, like we don't have to drink wine, right? A $12 wine is a luxury product. You don't have to drink wine, right? We can make a joke like, yeah, we do, but, um, and we do, but, you know, but you don't have to drink that. But most people in the world drink some kind of fermented beverage, right? Um, it's the wine that makes that fermented beverage um, you know, expensive because that fermented beverage um, works on um, on uh, on tourism. It works on uh, with vacations. It works with business dinners, right? And so all of these places very limits, right? If you are growing up in an in a in a um, an underdeveloped uh, area of the world, chances are your family's not going on holiday to the south of France. And so if you're not going to have that exposure, you might have blinders on and might not realize that wine is for you. And so when I mentioned my untraditional path that I had to take, you know, I, I didn't know there were sommeliers, right? Or I didn't know that there were sommelier classes. 
because like I wasn't raised that way. I didn't grow up with wine on my table. We couldn't afford it, um, you know? And with, with the path that I took, it was asking a ton of questions when I was a buyer. It was tasting nonstop. It was buying the cheap wines that I could afford at that time. And then eventually it was the travel um, from, from the hospitality industry that allowed me to go stand in a vineyard in South Africa or go pick grapes in Washington, right? And then it just, it absolutely opened up my eyes. So I don't wanna jump ahead but we've, but I want to talk about our, our award program because it kind of fits in line. Yeah. Can, yeah. Can you share a little bit more about that? That would be amazing. I would Absolutely. love to hear more about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this kind of ties right back into to stereotypes, but um, you know, if, if we think that, you know, black and brown people don't drink wine, it's that black and brown people don't have access to wine. And so as a business owner and a seller of wine, when I, you know, I wanted to have, a more diverse company, right? Uh, visually diverse as well. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. Uh, there weren't, um, uh, uh, um, there weren't black people that were applying for positions other than delivery or laborer positions, right? Uh, there weren't black people that were applying for floor positions if we put an ad out uh, or managerial positions whatsoever. And because they just, they might not have had exposure to wine. And, it got really tough. Uh, we did this about five years ago. We started this and uh, it was just really tough. And I, I got just like selfish. I'm like, I don't want to be the only one that looks like me in my own store. Right. Um, and I don't want customers walking by. And if I'm not there, they're just only seeing, you know, younger white people work in the store. Right. And it's nothing against the younger white people. Like they're great people. It's just that <laughs> if someone that doesn't look like them doesn't walk by, walks by and only sees them, there might not be an opportunity mm-hmm. to come in and them the experience and get it in the glass for them, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was getting tired of, of not having people apply for the jobs that I needed positions filled for. So it took a couple of years and uh, about 18 months, 20 months ago, uh, Hadley and I approached Boston University and uh, we said, hey, you know what? We want to come up with this with this program where it's a three-pronged approach to education, um, to uh, paid internships, and then ongoing mentorships. And Boston University is the education side. And it's actually this course that I went through um, called the Elizabeth Bishop School. Um, and uh, and this Elizabeth Bishop School is actually taught by two masters of wines. And it's a four-level, one-year course. And the reason this is important is because if someone can go into this course uh, tuition-free, Urban Great pays mm-hmm. for it, uh, tuition free for, for, for the year, they'll be educated so that when now they're attractive to me, if they apply for a position, they have a confidence to apply for a position at Urban Grape. At that same time, they're working on three sides of the business that I've come from, uh, four months each, retail at the Urban Grape, um, wholesale at MS Walker, and then on-premise restaurants, front of the house uh, for Tiffany Faison's uh, Big Art Hospitality. And like she's, I'm sure you know her, she's amazing. Yes people. Um, and this is, um, it's paid internship where everyone's in the front of the house, right? Because in distribution, all the black and brown people work in warehouse, yeah. right? In restaurants, most, at least in Boston, um, work as dishwashers and busboys uh, and barbacks, 
right? Uh, but they're not the wine store. They're not the bar manager. They're not the head server. Uh, and so this needs to, needs to change. And at the same time, it's ongoing mentorship. So this program, we were able to financially start um, because of the support of our community after June 1st uh, to start the Urban Grape Wine Studies Award for students of color. And we've raised so much money, Amanda, in the, in the first um, couple of months of this program and really keeping, kicking off in the end of June of 2020, uh, that Boston University said, hey, you know what, how do you feel about putting two students through this program? And we said, yeah, so it's about $8,000 per student per year. And we've raised enough money. Um, we're at about $175,000 since wow. then. And we're going to endow the fund uh, at $200,000, which puts uh, two students through this program for life. So every single year in perpetuity, we're putting two students through this program and Tiffany and the Shaw family at MS Walker and, and Hadley and I through Urban Grape have uh, also um, uh, made an agreement that we're going to continue to do this because this is what all of our industries need. And so our first um, student who is a 40 plus um, black um, uh, Latinx um, queer woman um, started in, uh, in September. And then we have another uh, uh, um, black woman um, who actually just started with us in the end of January. And so now, you know, so they've one came through Urban Grape, now one's at Urban Grape and the other one is at distribution. And wow. this is what change. She was on a sales call yes. with education with everyone. And she's like, here's an amazing company, right? Like Emma Walker is an amazing company. And she's like, this is why I'm here. And I know this is tough because she was doing a present. She was on a call and she said, I felt like the lone vanilla bean in a carton of vanilla ice cream. Right. And, you know, we mentioned that to the heads and they're like, yes, this is why we're doing this. Mm. Uh, she's like, This is unique. And they're a great company that's been around for generations. But, but then you take that company and you cookie cut it into any other industry yeah. in corporate America. Yeah. And it's, Right. So the, the, the change needs to happen. And we really needed to make that change ourselves. I love that so much. And kudos to you for, you know, taking a stand and also um, aligning with other folks in the industry, because I feel like this industry is so siloed, um, mm -hmm. not only in the way that it's structured from the three tier system and everything else. But voices need to come together and need to link arms to say we are going to be the change and this is how we're going to do it. So for people who are listening and watching this, listening yeah. to and watching this, how can they get involved to support that initiative? So to support the Urban Grape Wine Studies Award for Students of Color Initiative, they can go right to Boston University um, and, and search for us and make a donation right there. And um, not sure when this is going to be airing, uh, but for the first quarter, we have a, uh, a donor uh, matching up to $20,000 for every single donation. So oh, wow. That's, that's pretty huge. Um, so they can, they can go for there, but, um, you know, in their, in their own communities, wherever they are uh, in the world, is reach out to their, to their wine shops that they have a relationship reach, with. Um, reach out to, um, to their restaurants, their independent restaurants that they have relationships with and start a conversation and use us as a, as a reference, right? Say, hey, wow. here in Boston, there's this great shop and they're, they're building community through beverage this way. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. Like there, we chose Emma's Walker because we have such a great relationship and they 
want to make change not only for themselves but for the industry as a whole because they have such a they have such a presence and a say in this industry that if they're doing it, other people are going to follow suit. But there's other people that are like, eh, I think we're kind of fine the way that we are. So I think you have to you know you know break down these barriers by being extremely vocal, right? And if there aren't any um, you know black owned uh, wine brands. Uh, that are on the store shelf, uh, ask the manager at the store, well, why not, mm-hmm. right? Go to Urban Grape's website. They carry all these. Can you guys get some of these, right? Because Urban Grape can't get it to us, right? Or, you know, go and, uh, you know, have a conversation with the, with the, with the chef owner uh, and say, hey, you know, like, what, what are your diversity, you know, um, you know, programs here? You know, I kind of, everyone, you know, it's kind of white that works here. <laughs> like everyone is willing to have that conversation and the person that's going to find that as offensive, um, they're kind of lost anyways, right? But yeah. so many people, do you agree with that? Like so many people want to help, but so many people are just going to, right? Like, sorry about your window, dude, right? Like, right. That, like that's it. But I think there's more more people that have their ears uh, and, and, and hearts and, and, and eyes open right now. The problem is, is that there's not a, uh, uh, um, here's what you do to fix it. But us as a, even if it was just us as a wine drinking community, we have so much power, right? If you, do, if you, and now I'm talking to, to, to the listeners here, if, if you as the drinker or you as the eater don't find that the places that you're patronizing support, um, you know, uh, equal opportunities and equity in our world, stop spending your money there because there are so yeah. many people out there that are taking the money out of their own bank accounts to help make change. Well, yeah. And, you know, brands who aren't thinking right now about um, who's making decisions in their organizations and how that trickles down to consumers, they are way behind because cancel culture is real, unfortunately. Um, Fortunately for some and unfortunately for others. And, you know, consumers, I think even more, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and I think it's something like the black community now has a trillion dollars worth of buying power. Um, And, you know, thinking about what does that mean when brands actually take that seriously and start to make sure that they're marrying the customer experience with the employee experience, with the buyer's experience, with the decision maker's experience. Um, So I think it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens with big brands over the next, call it year or two, um, and how they start to shift. What other things do you think need to happen in the industry or one or two steps that uh, the industry needs to take to have more? And I won't say true equity and representation, because as you said, that's going to take, I don't know, probably another hundred years, unfortunately, um, to actually happen. But what do you think needs to happen? What steps need to be taken in order to have more equity and representation? I think the first step on all sides, like in Massachusetts, we're on a three-tier system, right? So distributor, retail, restaurant, and then the most important person, the consumer. Social media is is such a powerful tool in real time and it has a voice and you need to be like, we've always run our company uh, very transparently, right? I think companies, Mm -hmm. uh, consumers, uh, and then the companies like businesses, re- retailers, and restaurants, they need to be transparent. 
And they, they need to be vulnerable and put themselves out there and say, you know, this is what we're doing. We might not have done it this way before, but we're changing now. Um, and these are the steps that we're taking as a company. And thank you for your business, right? I think, I think, that's, I think that's one step. Uh, and then the second step is um, for people um, like me, uh, who is a, a reseller of wine. So I can't import directly. I have to buy it from a distributor. Uh, for me, it is for years, I've been reaching out to these small uh, black owned uh, and uh, like women owned or LGBTQ owned brands and saying, hey, you know, I really want to, you know, support your brand. Can I make some introductions? And there were a lot of like no callbacks uh, or saying, you know what, we've, we've tried this before, but they said, you know, we weren't the right fit for them. And now they're finding that people are making room for them. Mm -hmm. So the answer to the, the, the second part of that, Amanda, is for me, I stayed on top of them and I made introductions, right? And I took the first step and I said, look, I can't bring you in, but send me some samples because one, if it's not good, I'm not going to carry you, but I will make an introduction to you, right? And so what I've done, I've, I've made some introductions to some great smaller importers here in Massachusetts, which then provides them um, the path, which then I can carry, which gives me access, which then I can sell to the consumers and they get more money, the consumer gets more wine to buy, I get to support both sides and the industry starts looking differently organically. That's great. You know, it's interesting you say that because as people are learning more about Vino Karma, you know, um, you and Hadley were kind enough to support Vino Karma and in, in reverse, we supported you by sending folks your way to buy um, a few winemakers brands this summer uh, when I interviewed Ibram X. Kendi. Um, and people are finding out what I'm trying to do in the industry, what Vino Karma is trying to do. And I'm getting DMs. Uh, I got a DM yesterday from somebody saying, hey, I saw you drank this wine the other day. Can you stop supporting this person? Because he's a known misogynist in the industry. And I was like, whoa. I was like, okay, well, thank you. Because I won't then drink his brands anymore. I won't drink his wine because that's one of the things that I'm also very passionate about is um, having women be in, in positions as well of power or decision-making power, particularly in this industry. You know, I myself also experienced sexual harassment in the industry. And it's something that we saw um, with the New York Times uh, expose that came out about the quartermaster sommeliers uh, back in, I think it was November. You know, we saw the things that are still rife in this trade that have to stop. Um, so I'm glad that you said that because social media is everything and it is powerful. And now finally people are starting to come up and stand up and say, Hey, this, this has to stop. And that has to stop and support these people over here and stop supporting those folks over there. You know, again, it's, uh, you know, and I'm sorry, and I'm sorry that you've experienced that in, in your life. And, you know, you're probably talking about one experience, but it's probably happened a thousand times that you've just brushed off and you, you put some armor on. Right. And so, so I'm sorry that you've gone through that. And, you know, with, with, with the, the equity doesn't matter like your skin color, right. There's just, there needs to be equity in this and these issues, whether it's uh, discrimination based on, on race or sexuality uh, or, 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 um, uh, or height or weight or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that happens in every single industry, every single industry. So, you know, we can kind of cookie cut, um, like, uh, uh, not a fix all, 
but it's, it's, it's the same situation. So uh, with the New York Times article, uh, you know, it's, you know, I read it and I'm like, I'm so sorry, these women, um, a couple of them, I, I know not, not, not well, but I, I, I know them and, you know, I've been on some Zooms with them before, before this came out. I'm like, oh my God, like, but then I look back and I'm like, of course this has happened, right? I mean, they're, they're, they're young women and they are uh, in positions where the person that is going to give them more opportunity is an older white male with power, right? And so, and I'm like, this, like this, this happened and, you know, and I know that they've changed around um, the structure of, of the, of the court here in the United States. Um, and uh, two of actually two, two of my friends, uh, two Boston guys uh, are actually now uh, new board members because they are looking at changing the whole thing so that this doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much about the court of master sommeliers um, just because I'm not a sommelier. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't take that path at all. Um, but you, you know, it's, you know, the, the, the victim, you know, it's, it's, it's not their fault. Um, and you can't use the excuse of like, Oh, well, you know, we were drinking or like whatever. It just, it, it shouldn't happen. It mm-hmm. shouldn't happen. You know, the women, uh, brown and black people, LGBTQ community, it's so unfortunate that we have to protect ourselves from the predators and, um, the, you know, the predators of, of, of discriminatory actions, yeah. you know? I really, I want to see this industry shift so much and blow up the seats of power <laughs> so that other people step in. Um, yeah. So I know, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I do have um, a couple of other questions. One is, are there any brands or winemakers, brewers, distillers that you're super excited about right now that you'd love to talk to our community about? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I've been able to facilitate some of these brands coming into Massachusetts and hopefully from, um, from what they've seen as the owner, uh, but also as the importer that there's more um, opportunity to sell these wines in other markets, right? Um, so I love uh, Theopolis Vineyards. Um, so Miss Theodore Lee, she's, a, she's an attorney by day. Uh, and then she's the farmer, the winemaker, the brand owner, wow. the winery owner, and she's just totally badass. Unfortunately, some of these people that I've, that I've met this year over Zoom, it's only been over Zoom, you know, because, you know, because of COVID. So like, I'm not, I'm not hopping on a plane and going to California. Um, love, love that. Um, we're hopefully uh, coming into Massachusetts, uh, Botkin Wines. Um, and those are great. There's sparkling, there's white, there's reds, um, looking for Bodkin, B-O-D-K-I-N. Um, uh, really looking forward to those. We're in the process of bringing in, uh, chosen, uh, family wines, um, from Oregon. Uh, and, um, you know, with, with these guys, it's really interesting because, and maybe this is a conversation for another time. But so many of these black owned brands that are starting out are coming from celebrities. They have so much um, serious um, love of wine and they kind of are pushed aside because they're celebrities, mm. but this is the, that, that are black, right? It's like, 
this was their opportunity to get into wine because they weren't in finance, right? They didn't own, you know, 75% of all the cattle in Montana and then go build a hundred million dollar winery, right? Um, they made their money from being famous, mm-hmm. right? And it's, and it's not their fault, but they've used that money to start wine brands and to start wineries. And they're serious wines that happen to be owned by athletes, that happen to be brands owned by, you know, one of the best R&B singers of all time, right? And so I'm really excited about bringing these in, but this is where it's starting right now. You know, we're, we're, we're getting uh, more of these brands in before we can get more than one case of Krista Scruggs's wines from mm-hmm. Vermont, you know, mm-hmm. because she only makes 100 cases, right? So in order for that to get distributed around the world, it's very limited. Uh, and then a great um, grower, she's a farmer, uh, to really look out for uh, is Brene Royal. Uh, you can follow her at underscore Cabrene on Instagram. She's like one of the dopest people that I've ever met. Um, and, you know, she has her hands in a lot of things, but, but she's, a, she's, she's the head uh, farmer, the head rancher uh, for Monte Rosso Vineyard, which is one of the most well-established and famous vineyards in the United States. And that's her vineyard that she's farming for people. Um, so I think like watch where like some of the fruit that she's uh, picking for people um, would be great. But, you know, if we have this conversation uh, six months from now or a year from now, maybe I can, you know, give you 40 brands. Well, I really appreciate uh, you having this conversation with me today and sharing your knowledge, your love of the industry, and also um, just your perspective, you know, it being in the wine trade and having been in the trade for so long. So I really appreciate you and thank you for all that you do and all that you're doing for the community. For those folks that are in Boston, please go out there and support TJ and Hadley Douglas of The Urban Grape. And for everybody watching, please continue to go out there and create change one sip at a time. Thank you so much.